This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our study today will be completely different from the other lessons in our series. And I had indicated last week that this would probably be concluded, but I think you will understand uh, why we probably need another week after um, you know our lesson today. I think you'll understand that. Um, and let me just kind of tell you up front, this lesson will be extremely boring. And I know I just violated the most important rule of public speaking. It's like hearing people get up and say, well, I'm not much of a public speaker. You know, you'll just have to bear with me. Don't ever say that, okay? We'll figure that out soon enough. You don't have to tell us. But, but I'm essentially doing that because today there will be no funny stories no personal illustrations. The entertainment value will be absolutely zero. Um, so this lesson will be boring in that sense unless, unless God, God quickens the word to our hearts. And, and I looked up the word quicken because we read it in the King James Version. And, and, and quicken means to cause a fire to burn within us. And I've been praying that God's Word today w- would be quickened in our hearts. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we, we really need you. And I, I just felt like that I should kind of cut out most of the nonsense that I might try to add today and just, just stick with your Word. And, and Father, I just pray that your Word would be powerful. Lord, uh, minimize the distractions. And I know because of media, we, we feel like we've got to entertain, we've got to have stories, we've got to have all of this and all that. And Father, today, let your word just be so powerful to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we want to do today with God's help. We want to take the last few hours of Jesus' life and try to splice together the crucifixion chronicles from the books of Mark, Luke, John. They, they provide some unique details. And we're going to try to follow Jesus chronologically as he leaves the Passover meal that we've been studying the last two or three weeks, and he begins his journey to the cross. Now, I realize today's lesson is one that we typically hear around Easter, but I really think we need to hear it year-around. Last week, when we were gathered together, we found Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. He had just celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, and and what a night it was. Jesus started out by taking a basin of water and a towel and washing the disciples' feet. And then Jesus changed the meaning of Passover, saying that now the bread and the cup would be in remembrance of him instead of in remembrance of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And then last week we studied that epic announcement where he said, I'm going to give you a new command. And, and instead of the loophole society based on rules, Jesus was now saying that the way we treat each other would not be based on rules. Rather, it would be based on loving each other just as Jesus loved them. Well, as the night wore on, the disciples could tell that Jesus was becoming more and more disturbed. Something was on his mind. Not to mention, the disciples began to wonder, where did Judas run off to anyway? 
They assumed he was running an errand and, and it shouldn't have taken that much time. Where was he? Well, Jesus finally says, I have such a heavy heart. Let's go find a place to pray. They make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was an urban, urban garden in the middle of the city. They had been there many times before. It was such a peaceful place. And by going at night, they knew that they would probably avoid the crowds and have the garden to themselves. They enter the garden. Jesus opens up to the fact that he's overwhelmed. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 34, as we pick up our reading, he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. So even throughout the Bible, even though throughout the Bible we find that there is a there is special power in praying together. We call that corporate prayer. Yet there are also those times when, when we just need to get alone with God. And this is one of those times where, where Jesus tells his disciples, you guys stay here and pray. I'm going to go a little bit further into the garden and pray by myself. And we read that in verse 35. It says, going a little further, he fell to the ground, prayed. Here's what he prayed. If possible, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. And, and try to catch how agonizing this prayer was. He says, Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. In other words, Father, I know you could come up with plan B. Where I wouldn't have to go to the cross. But he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Well, Jesus prays an hour or so. He goes back to check on the boys. Would you believe they're sound asleep? In verse 37, he says, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So on this epic night, when, when the forces of darkness would make their greatest assault on the forces of light, the disciples' eyes are so heavy and they just keep dozing off. Finally, after the third time of Jesus returning to wake them up, guess who shows up? Judas. He had left the upper room alone. But he certainly was not alone now. He has a small army with him. We read in verse 43, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And the Bible says that the disciples who had bowed with him to, to, to be with him until the very end, in verse 50, it says, everyone deserted him and fled. So with no one to even keep Jesus company. Verse 53 says they took Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests, elders and teachers of the law came together. And what follows next is so interesting. And I don't know if you've ever wondered how some of the information got into the Bible. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, followers of Jesus, wouldn't have been allowed in the meetings with the chief priests and the religious bigwigs. So how did this information get to them so they could document it for us? Well, in the book of Acts, we discover that many Pharisees became Jesus' followers after the resurrection. And so more than likely, these details came from these Pharisees that put their trust in Jesus. Here's what happened. Verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin. So this would be like the entire Jewish Supreme Court. They were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. 
Many testified falsely against them. And, and you got to love this. But their statements did not agree. So, so they had fabricated some lies. They were going to use against them. But, but they couldn't even coordinate their lies. Finally the most powerful person in the room. The high priest began to lose his temper. In verse 60 it says. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus. Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Well, finally, the chief priest says, okay, would you please just answer one question for us? Because if Jesus answered this one question like they thought he would, it was all the evidence they would need to crucify him. And so the chief priest asks, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? Now, don't you listen at this moment. At this moment, Jesus held your future in his hands because he could have caved. And this would have set off a chain reaction that would have changed the course of history. But, but he looked at the chief priest and, and looked at everyone else in the room and he said, I am. I am the Christ. Well, with that answer, the high priest came unglued. In verse 63, it says, the high priest tore his clothes. And why do we need any more witnesses? He asked, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And everybody else there agreed. They said, they all condemned him as worthy of death. So with that, they began to abuse him. They began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists. They said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. And this went on for quite some time. Now, we don't know if they were up all night. We're reasonably sure that Jesus got no sleep that night. But the Bible tells us in, in Mark chapter 15, verse 1, very early. Catch that? Very early in the morning. The chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. So there was a verdict. But there was one little detail to work out. They still needed Rome to carry out the sentence. And so they came up with a plan to convince Pilate to execute Jesus that very day before the Passover so the city would settle down. So the followers of Jesus would give up on their messianic aspirations and, and things would get back to normal. So it says they bound Jesus, led him away, handed him over to Pilate. Now Pilate was the governor of Judea where the city of Jerusalem was. And we know from history that that Pilate could not stand the Jews. In fact, he didn't even like going to the city of Jerusalem. He lived in a palace on the coast. And, and he only came to Jerusalem during festival days in order to keep peace. His favorite pastime was antagonizing the Jewish leaders. Reminding them that they were subjects of Rome. And he reveled in, in, in their groveling. So early in the morning, the Jewish religious leaders led Jesus to Pilate. Now, to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, this is interesting, they could walk up to the door of Herod's palace, but their laws said that if they so much as stepped foot across the threshold of the door, because Pilate was a Gentile, they would have to go through a series of elaborate cleansings all over again, and they wouldn't be able to partake of Passover. So, do you see the hypocrisy here? That they wouldn't cross the threshold of a door to keep religious rules, but they're about to insist that an innocent man be put to death. 
Well, they get Jesus to Pilate and, and jumping to John's gospel for a few additional details. In John chapter 18, verse 29, Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? And here was their prepared statement to Pilate. If you were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Here's the Cedar County translation. You know, let's not get bogged down in details. Pilate, we don't bother you very much. You know that. And, and you know we wouldn't bring him here on, on the eve of the Passover, which is our biggest festival of the year, if this were not important. So let's not get bogged down in little details and minutia. You know, we just need a favor from you. Well, Pilate loved it whenever the Jewish leaders needed a favor. So he, he sarcastically said, well, take him yourself and, and judge him by your own law. Well, since they were under Roman rule, you know, they were not allowed to do this. And, and they knew it and Pilate knew it. And, and what Pilate was doing, he was just kind of sticking the knife in and twisting it a little bit. And, and so the Jews probably cringed when they answered back in verse 31, but we have no right to execute anyone. Aha, that was music to Pilate's ears. Pilate loved jabbing them. And he was probably like, oh, that's right. You know, you, you, you don't have the power to impose your own laws. Oh, what a pity. I forgot. Well, then Pilate did something else to irritate them. He went back into his palace knowing that they wouldn't follow. They didn't want to become unclean. So Pilate had his guards bring Jesus in. And, and this probably caused the leaders to go crazy because they were afraid that if Pilate had some one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus, that Jesus might sway him. I mean, Jesus had ways of swaying the crowd and he had won a nation over to himself. And, and there was no telling what some one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus would do to Pilate. Pilate begins to interrogate him and he goes to the heart of the matter and he asks him in verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus said, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Well, Pilate is already on edge and, and he's cranky. And, and he says in verse 35, am I a Jew? It was your people, your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? In other words, why are we here anyway? You're a bother to me. This is early morning. You're interrupting my coffee time. I, I made up that part. What have you done that, that has caused your own people to interrupt my peaceful morning? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. So, so Pilate, if my kingdom were like yours, here's what I would do. I would out-Rome Rome. Yeah, I would use force and I would use my power. I would perform some miracles to get my way. But Pilate, my kingdom is nothing like your kingdom. Pilate says, you are a king then. But there was no evidence that Jesus had committed a crime. And, and that's what Pilate was concerned, uh, concerned about. And so as we jump to Luke's gospel, we see that Pilate goes back out to the crowd. In Luke chapter 23, verse 4. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Well, as you can already imagine, there is no way that the Jewish leaders were going to accept that answer. So in verse 5, they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea, which 
is where Pilate was governor. Stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. But then, this is fascinating. Somebody in the crowd says something that they had probably agreed not to mention. It was the G word. It says he started in Galilee and has come all the way here. And and reading between the lines, it's almost as if Pilate says, Galilee? Did, Did you just say Galilee? And he has to have a sense of relief come over him because Galilee was not his jurisdiction. And so he probably smiles and says, sorry, sorry, guy, guys, sorry to inform you, but you come to the wrong person. I'm in charge of Judea, not Galilee. You need to take him to Herod because Herod is the governor of Galilee. And reading between the lines, I have to imagine that the Jewish leaders turned to whoever said the word Galilee and said, you m- moron, why did you open your big mouth? I mean, we didn't want to bring the governor of Galilee into this because that means more bureaucracy, more time, more chance of some technicality getting in the way. But Pilate says, you mentioned Galilee. I'm going to send him to Herod. And this is so ironic. This Herod is the son of Herod the Great who sent his soldiers into Bethlehem 33 years earlier to murder all baby boys two years and under to be able to take out Jesus. This is the son. He's now governor of Galilee. And we read in verse 7, sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time for the Passover. Well, Herod is thrilled to see Jesus. And in verse 8, when, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him and like so many others, he had never been able to get close because the crowds were so great and he had heard all about the miracles. And so when he saw Jesus, here's what he hoped and says from what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. So, so Jesus, do some tricks. You know, do some magic. Do, do something to wow me. I, I, I've heard all about you. But of course, Jesus refuses to play along. And Herod keeps grilling him with question after question and says he plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. Well, it doesn't take long for Herod to get fed up. He can't get Jesus to do a trick. He can't get Jesus to give him any answers that might incriminate him. So he and his soldiers begin to mock him and make fun of him and Out of frustration, he ends up sending Jesus back to Pilate. Well, when Jesus gets back to Pilate in Luke chapter 23, verse 13, we read, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, have found no basis for your charges against him. And, And by the way, neither has Herod. For he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, you know, just to appease you and get you off of my front porch so I can have some peace and quiet again. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. 
the crowd goes ballistic. And verse 18 says, With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Well, jumping to John's account, Pilate again tries to appease the crowd. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now, for for first century readers, they all understood the word flog. Two Roman soldiers, because this was exhausting. We kind of laugh about it, but this was exhausting. And so they had two Roman soldiers, each with a cat of nine tails, with pieces of bone and metal fragments tied into the leather. They would bind a man's hand over his head as far as they could stretch him out. They would take turns. And they would count the number of lashes because even the Romans had rules about flogging. And with each lash, the pieces of metal and pieces of bone would not only rip layer after layer after layer of the skin off of a man's back, but they would rip layer after layer after layer of the skin off of a man's stomach and many times even expose the intestines. People many times died from flogging. They would bleed to death or they would die from infection. Now, here's something that I want to talk about just for a moment. You know, as 21st century people, we've sanitized. We've even romanticized what happens next in the life of Jesus. Here's why we've done it. Because most of us don't want to hear the reality. In fact, I've had some people, this last Easter, I had somebody, they're not here in this congregation, but they came to me and said, Pastor, for your Easter message, please don't give us a graphic description of the flogging and the beating and the crucifixion. And, and, and I don't. I, I try to be sensitive to children that might be in here. But here's what happens. We get a G version or maybe a, at worst, a PG version of Jesus being beaten and crucified. But don't ever forget what Isaiah said. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, it says, Many were amazed when they saw him beaten and bloodied. And catch this, so disfigured, one would scarcely know he was a person. That's the reality. When Jesus was beaten and flogged, he came out of that so disfigured and bloody They scarcely recognized him as being a person. And so as an adult, it's so important that we not skip over this part and sanitize it. And, and you know, always have soft and soothing music playing in the background and, and, and make the crucifixion some kind of inspirational moment, you know, that's just so sweet. It was anything but that. It was brutal. It was savage. And then John says, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And have you ever gotten a little splinter and said, oh, ouch, that hurts. Have you ever been poked with a thorn? How about a crown of thorns being pushed down on your head? They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, hail, king of the Jews. 
and they struck him in the face. That same face that had already been bruised the night before by the temple guards. Well, once more, Pilate comes out to the waiting crowd in hopes that it's seeing Jesus in this bruised and bloody condition that Isaiah describes that the Jews would have a little bit of pity and say, you know, enough is enough. We've made our point. He'll probably die anyway, so just let him go. But there was no pity. And they became agitated because in their minds this was taking too long. And so the Jewish leaders then went into part two of their plan and they said, okay, we've got a law. We didn't mention this earlier, but, but this is dragging out so long, longer than we intended. We have a law and according to that law, Jesus must die. Here's why. Because he claims to be the son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, the Bible says in, in John chapter 19, verse eight, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Why? Why was he afraid? Because claiming to be the son of God crossed over from it just simply being a Jewish thing. And now it became a Roman thing for someone to claim to be the son of God was threatening to the entire empire. And so Pilate knew that he now needed to do something. He goes back inside. His guards take Jesus in there. Pilate decides to question Jesus one more time. Jesus still won't answer. And I don't want, to, I don't want you to miss the details here in John chapter 19, verse 10. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? You know, see, that this is typically when men broke and, and began to beg, not for their life because it was too late. They had already been condemned to die, but, but they began to beg. They fell to their knees and they begged for a quick death because crucifixion was anything but a quick death. But Jesus doesn't do that. Pilate becomes so exasperated. He says to Jesus, don't you realize I have power to either free you or to crucify you? To which Jesus could have said, well, Pilate, why are you so afraid then? But Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Now, Pilate was a soldier. He had seen men die in battle. He had seen men die a fast death. He had seen men die a slow death. He'd seen men scream and curse and beg and plead. But he had never seen a man that was so calm. And when he stared into Jesus' eyes, he saw those eyes were not the eyes of a madman. They were eyes that were full of love. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And at this point, Pilate knew they had him. He had been outmaneuvered. They had called him out publicly, and Pilate knew that Emperor Tiberius had eyes and spies everywhere in the empire. But he still tried one more time to put it back on the Jews. And verse 14 said it was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. And to me, this is so interesting. Before the chief priest could stop himself, he shouts something that at any other time, would have been considered blasphemy. I mean, for a Jew, let alone the chief priest to say this, was the worst thing you could ever say. But here's what he says. We have no king but Caesar. 
That was blasphemy. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Well, back to Mark's account, Pilate's soldiers soldiers took charge of Jesus. And as you read this account in all four Gospels, there's so much detail. It's almost moment by moment. It's hour by hour. It's conversation by conversation. It's, it's line by line. But all of a sudden, I mean, there's a lot of detail. But when we get to this part of the account, the detail stops. Because what comes next required no explanation. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 24, it says, And they crucified him. Invented by Greeks, perfected by Romans. Crucifixion could take a man days to die, depending on how well the Romans did their job. And again, the goal of crucifixion was not a quick death. The goal was a slow, prolonged, painful death. In fact, this is something I learned this week in my in my studies, but crucifixion was so gruesome that the church leaders later on banned it from any depiction in art until the 4th century when Constantine became emperor and banned crucifixion as a method of, of execution. So in other words, it was just so gruesome, they said, you're not allowed to have anything in art that would depict the crucifixion because it's so gruesome. C.S. Lewis wrote this, he said, the crucifixion did not become a frequent motive of Christian art until the generations which had actually seen real crucifixions were all dead. Because you see the cross, crucifixion was nothing glamorous. To put a cross on a necklace and wear it around their neck like we do today, or to put a cross in their homes was absolutely unthinkable. They would walk through our churches, they would walk through our homes and say, what are you thinking? Because the cross, the crucifixion was not sanitized like it is today. So Jesus was crucified and our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross and darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. That evening, Jesus was put in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. They made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone, posting a guard. And that night, everyone slept well. Caiaphas, the high priest, slept well, knowing that once again he had outmaneuvered Pilate. He had leveraged his power to get Rome to do his dirty work. And, and now he could get back to business as usual in the temple without this pesky, bothersome rabbi named Jesus. Pilate slept well. This rabbi had also messed up his life the last few hours, and, and so he was now dead. And Passover was just about over, and, and soon the city would empty of all of these foreigners, and he could go back home to the coast where he could once again enjoy life with his family. Herod slept well, still chuckling that he had passed Jesus off to Pilate and made Pilate do his dirty work as well. In Rome, Emperor Tiberius slept well, oblivious to the fact that he had no idea any of these events ever transpired. All was as it always had been. All was as it always would be because everybody 
everybody expected Jesus to do what dead people usually do. And that's stay dead. Little did they know. Little did Caiaphas know. Little did Pilate know. Little did Herod know. Little did Emperor Tiberius know that they had just secured their place in history. Their names would be spoken for generations to come in languages they didn't know about, in places they didn't know existed, in countries that hadn't yet been formed. Little did they know that hundreds and even thousands of years later, men and women would still speak their names around the world. But not as they would have wished. Because they would each become nothing more than a footnote in the story of the rabbi from Galilee. For what they intended as the end of this bothersome religion and troublesome teacher named Jesus was actually just the beginning. Because as the great orator Tony Campolo so beautifully said, this is Friday, but Sunday's a coming. And you're going to have to come back next Sunday for the grand finale to our series, Rediscovering Jesus. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.